Since the universe began, light has remained unchanged. Now man has created a new kind of light with powers and properties unlike anything that existed before. Laser light. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Zero X2C podcast. And I'm Ryan, and this is my co-host John. And we're hey back. there. <laughs> and we're back at it again with another episode. This time on Wednesday. So usually we were on. Uh, we d- we were doing one episode, one, one every Sunday, but for this break because of winter break, we have more time and we're able to do another episode this Wednesday. And hey, Sudo, thank you for uh, typing and saying hello. Um, glad to see uh, hear from you. Hope you're doing well and hope happy holidays to everyone. Uh, Merry Christmas to I mean you know to whatever you're celebrating out there. Uh, happy holidays. Hope you had a good time with your loved ones, family, friends. Oh, but in tomorrow it's early. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know it's, it's christmas it's okay ryan yeah. it's okay but i'm like but uh yeah you know once again happy holidays to everyone uh, thank you so much for tuning in to this i guess this would be considered like a holiday special uh, if you want to think of it that way <laughs> but uh yeah make sure you uh, stay safe and uh you know take some time with your uh, you know to be able to spend time with your uh, uh loved ones yeah but thank you so much for tuning in we appreciate it <laughs> yep and um yeah so oh and a quick uh i guess news update on uh xerox 2c podcast is We've moved our audio to Spotify and iTunes. So if you guys go ahead, if you guys go on Spotify, search OX2C podcast, you, you'll find us on audio format. And we're still on YouTube. So we just uploaded a new video on our previous uh, post, or I guess previous podcast on last Sunday. And I think that's, oh, and, and we created a new Instagram. So if you guys have Instagram, go ahead and hit us with a follow. And uh, so that's where we're going to update basically when we go live. Um, when we upload YouTube videos, um, and any, uh, anything else you want to add to that, John? Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you pretty much uh, hit the nail on the head here. Uh, yeah, it's uh, you know we've just we've expanded our platforms to uh, Spotify as well as a couple of other uh, uh, podcasting platforms. Um, although it won't be like instantly after the live um, uh, the live session, so we still encourage you if you can to come to these live sessions so you can ask your questions and we can um, have fun kind of fielding them and and. Uh, uh, talking about these uh, latest and greatest developments. But uh, without further ado, Ryan, I think our audience is hungry for uh, what we have to present today. <laughs> yeah. So today, I guess I'll be starting off since last week, John started off with his article. So on um, today, I got a neuro, sort of neuroscience topic-based article. Um, and so this is from the SciTech Daily um, by the Zuckerman Institute at Columbia University. And so the title is um, of this article is "Your Brain Has a Remarkable Ability to Hear One Vo- One's Voice in a Crowd," and here's how it works. So they give sort of like a, a nice summary of, of how we're able to sort of decipher whose voice we hear from a, from a large crowd. And um, so let me, let's let's start off with some like uh, background, some context. Um, have you? So I guess John, this is a question to you. Have you ever wondered how we're able to focus on someone's voice like in a crowd, or have you ever? Um, you when you like. By? someone and when, eavesdrop <laughs> when you like first sort of gave me a hint about what the article was i uh i wasn't too it, it wasn't a question to really like consciously think about right it, it's something we do so naturally that you never really stop and wonder like huh you know how is it that we can uh you know discern uh, uh not discern distinguish between um all these different voices uh, it's almost like uh, we're not naturally aware uh, of how we breathe but the moment I ask you, like, Ryan, how are you breathing? You, you instantly become conscious of that fact. So 
Um, no, I can't say. I, I cannot say that I've really thought about it all that much, or I, I even know anything about it at all. So I'm I'm pretty excited about this one. <laughs> yeah, no, and same here. Like I don't think I've ever stopped to think how am I eavesdropping on the conversation, or how am I able to, if I really like think about someone's voice and and focus in on the on the on the convo and to hear it. Because um, th- I'm pretty sure I've done that once in my life, just to just just to see how I could uh, if I can just focus or something but um, and I'm sure like it probably wasn't intentional either like you mentioned like you can walk past a crowd and you you pick up you know individual um, words and sentences but you're not doing it um, out of malice it's just you know a natural habit and sometimes like the voice just like someone's voice just sounds <laughs> like it's, it's weird how it just picks up that one voice and then you happen just to hear <laughs> their but anyways I digress uh, so let's uh, let's go. I guess talk about how the human auditory system works, and really sort of you know understand the background behind our ears and how it talks to our brains from these signals. So, uh, so it's a complex system, and it basically the, 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 the general super, like superficial explanation is it's going to convert sound waves to electrical signals for our brain to process. And now how it does this is that um, so sound waves um, are going to enter our outer ear, and then the signals will travel through the ear canal. And then it leads into the eardrum, and the size of our eardrum is about, I think, a dime. So like, a dime. Like I mean, like okay. a little, like smaller than a dime, but yeah, it's it's a. Uh, it's pretty tiny. Like pretty if you've, I don't know about the audience, but I I used to have the habit of looking at those earwax cleaning videos. Like they're absolutely disgusting, but they're super satisfying, and and you know it, it really gives you an idea of just how small that entryway is. Is that on YouTube? <laughs> Like earwax? Yeah, you can find earwax cleanings. Yeah, I mean, like, wow. they're they're super satisfying. It's like part of your. It's like a really visceral response. You know, I've um, seen looking I've at that. Stuff. I've seen like pus and them clean, them cleaning like popping pimples and stuff, but I haven't heard of earwax. I think that's the first time. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's definitely a thing. There's a sort of a large following for that kind of stuff. Wow. <laughs> well, so does, does that like oddly satisfy? So is that? Oddly, yeah, it is. Watch? Um, th- there are some people who have very sort of heavily impacted ears. Um, this is why, like, like it's a really, looking at those videos is a great reminder why you should not use cotton swabs to clean out the insides of your ears because what ends up happening is you push the earwax that would naturally come out further into your ear. And then eventually mm-hmm. these people suffer um, hearing loss and other symptoms and, and you have to go through drastic measures like a professional um, either pumping water or some kind of um, liquid. I think they usually use like diluted hydrogen peroxide from what I can tell. But it varies because different people have different kinds of earwax. You can have wet earwax and you can have dry earwax. And I think there are two different approaches to getting that stuff out of your ear. Wow. Because so, um, I, I know there's a method where you use hot water. Have you used that before in your ears to get earwax? Hot water? I don't know if that's like a myth method or like... I don't know I've, I've never seen that in actual... It's always been cold. It's like a saline, saline solution or it's like some kind of right. hydrogen peroxide. I don't think... I don't. I don't Personally, I don't think it's a great idea, but um, you know, once again, you know, Ryan and I aren't medical professionals, so this is <laughs> no far from that. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so after it, it, it sort of vibrates that eardrum, um, the, uh, it's gonna from the sound waves, and it's gonna send these vibrations to these three tiny bones in the middle ear, and they're called the malleus, incus, and stapes. So, ah, okay. Uh, and um, so the malice and incus are sort of the amplifiers, and they'll either increase the volume of the sound or like decrease it. Like if it's a really loud sound, they're trying to you know trying to tone it down to not damage your, uh, the inside of your ear. Oh, so it's like a, it's like a dampener, huh? Mm-hmm. And wow, I didn't know that. 
Huh. And so the Stapies, I hope I'm saying it right. Stapies? It's S-T-A-P-E-S? That sounds about right. Okay. I mean, most There's most Stapies. of these names have Latin origins. Okay. So I, I think I think you're saying it right. But if anyone in chat knows the proper pronunciation, you know, by all means, feel free to yeah. put that in the <laughs> yeah, drop please. a message. <laughs> yeah. And so the Stapies is actually the, uh, so it's the last part. So the third, it's the third, um, I guess, the third part to that, uh, so it goes first the malice, incus, and then the sapies. And so the oh, okay. I already said, yeah, the bones already amplify and decrease the sound vibrations. The last of the three bones, the stapes, it vibrates and it makes fluid in the uh, cochlea, which is, I, I like saying that word, cochlea. cochlea. It's a really nice cochlea. word. Cochlea. Yeah, it's like one of those oddly satisfying, um, you know, some, some words naturally roll out of your mouth and others like moist. Yeah. I don't know about you, but every time I hear yeah. that word, it's like, oh, you know. No, something's <laughs> wrong. <laughs> yeah so the cochlea um, moves in a wave-like manner and it stimulates these microscopic hair cells really like you know and they really look like just a bunch of bundled of hair like a like a bundle of sticks sort of sticking out and they flow like 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 hair um <laughs> like hair in the in the air and um and the, the other name for the i guess the the actual name for these is, is sterocilia and um, and what they do is they, uh, from the vibration, the fluid, they basically just ride the wave, and they're just like yeah. Um, and then these hair cells in the in the cochlea are tuned to respond to different sound based on pitch or frequency. So high pitches stimulate the lower part of the cochlea, and low pitch sounds um, will stimulate the upper part, which is kind of funny, you know. Uh, it's sort of high pitches stimulate the lower part, and then low stimulates the the high part. It's like hmm. that is, isn't it true for uh, I I just like another maybe like remotely relevant fact, but like hearing loss, right? Like isn't that when those fibers start to die out or they um because because hearing loss is like a, a permanent thing, right? Like once you so if you spend a lot of your youth listening to very loud music, that will um, permanently damage um, your ears. Yeah, and I <laughs> I I hope my. My ears, I've probably been damaged, John. If, I, if I'm being completely honest. <laughs> no, I, I think I think mine as well. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if the next time I see like a uh, um um oh my goodness, what's the name for those ear doctors? Isn't it eye nose and ear doctor an ophthalmologist, right? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Okay, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they come out with the test and like, dude, like you've lost some. <laughs> I mean, like, oh shoot. <laughs> yeah, loss of hearing. Is, I mean, it, it's 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 like I know someone who you know who has loss of hearing and it's just communicating it's it's really hard especially working let's say in the i don't know the tech field when you're trying to communicate ideas with one another it's it's they always tell me how oh, difficult it is and they need different mediums too in order to communicate with other people but um and hearing hearing aids don't really work at a when you reach a certain degree of not being able to hear loss right yeah so but we'll we'll, we'll get we'll talk more about into that so um uh so yeah, so this part, which I just talked about, the the hair cells um, flundulating, like moving, with the with the, uh, <laughs> with the inside the fluid of the cochlea, cochlea uh, they generate nerve impulses, which then travel to the auditory nerve, and then um, you, then you know from there it goes to your brain and then does all that fun stuff with that. And then um, and I guess really the one thing remarkable about reading about this and researching about this is that how fast our brain does it, you know. Um, and have you? I don't know if you heard, John, like about we we were, we were delayed, you know, 
When it's like a sixth of a second, right? Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's a small amount of time, but it's still noticeable. Like, uh, it's still a, it's still a concern. Like when you drive a car and like the car in front of you breaks is like a, um, you know, why there's a recommended distance um, and why you shouldn't tailgate. Um, obviously there, there is a, a, a delay between, you know, when our brain like realizes the car's stopped and, and when we hit the brake. Uh, so yeah, I, I am aware that our brain, despite being, you know, as impressive uh, a piece of machinery as it is, um, it still suffers from certain uh, latency issues. <laughs> right. And, um, yeah, but it's still remarkable how fast we're able to to like respond to things. Oh yeah, Especially absolutely. Just in sound and seeing, like I wonder what the if they measured. I'm pretty sure they measured like the the delay between what's actually what you're actually seeing versus when it really did happen. So people people like to make fun of this. It's like, oh, we're always living in the past. You know, we're always living delayed. And some part of it is true. I mean, it definitely is. But our, our brain has a uh, remarkable capacity to extrapolate. So given, you know, missing bits of information, um, our brain does try and fill in the gaps. But of course, it isn't perfect. And, you know, like optical illusions and, and there, there are certain phenomena where our brain just completely goes, uh, uh, you know, it's just absolutely wrong um, in reflecting reality. But uh, that's an excellent point, though, living in the past. Um, part of it is true. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, so let's go back to the article. So um, researchers teamed up with various uh, neurosurgeon doctors from Columbia University, Irvine Medical Center, and Northwell Health. And um, so from this article, uh, for this uh, for the study, researchers found patients to volunteer to listen to recording of people speaking while the doctors monitored their brainwaves via electrodes. And um, so they monitored um, uh, two specific parts. And, um, and these parts are found uh, in, I'm sorry, the, the, the two parts are, are the Heschel gyrus and the superior temporal gyrus. Uh, have you heard of, of these terms before, John? The gyrus, where, where is the gyrus? <laughs> so uh, it's located so where the temporal lobe is. So yeah, so let me- Okay, this is the frontal lobe. Mm-hmm. I know this is the frontal lobe. This is for you know, our, our higher, um, what do they call it? Like uh, uh, planning, or like ability for long-term planning and rational decision-making. Yeah. You say temporal. Is it like the sides here? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically on the sides. Wait, no, is that, am I right? Or is that no, like? No, no, yeah. Uh, I wish I had a diagram I can show, but um, yeah, look at on the side, mid. I would say like side middle of your brain. Side mid, okay, yeah. okay. Um, but uh, so yeah, the Heschel gyrus is known to be one of the first cortical structures that auditory information gets processed in the brain and processes speech related cues such as learning such receiving new speech sounds so that's the role of the uh, heschel gyrus heschel gyrus it sounds like uh, hershey's reminds me of, is it it's uh, a guy's name right yeah, yeah yeah of course not unsurprising <laughs> unsurprising i mean yeah. you know most most parts of the brain you know the, the, usually if you're the uh, discoverer you, you're you'll be fortunate enough to get that part named unless it's like Broca's area are you familiar with that story no what happened? I think there's a there's a clinical story that goes uh, because Broca's area is like responsible for speech or your ability to um, communicate. And, and I think there was a, a historical incident where a patient came in and he, he suffered an injury. I think a key or some piece of metal got lodged in that area, and doctors found out that he couldn't communicate properly. And that's how um, they they kind of named it after I don't know if it was the patient or the doctor, but um, Broca's area. You can uh, for those curious, you can go look that up. 
Um, and feel free to, um, you know, drop in chat, like if it was the patient or the doctor, I learned this in, in AP psychology. So it's been, it's been a, quite a, a many years since I <laughs> had to revisit that story. And okay. And um, so these two Gyrus, Gyri, Gyri, right? <laughs> I think it's Gyri. Like, right? Guy, I don't know. Because like octopus, I, uh, octopi, gyri. Well, right, but but that's like a different Latin. You know, <laughs> I think I think different roots have different plurals, but uh, I'm not I'm not certain on that aspect. <laughs> but they're, these are basically found um, also, uh, I guess, in the auditory cortex. So that's like the yeah. Um, and so I guess uh, sort of this quite. I, I I came up with the question like, why is it so hard to study you know the auditory cortex? Like what you know, what makes it hard about our brains uh, that, you know, we still have to be able to figure it out, right? So, um, right. Uh, so the, the, one of the doctors on the article uh, said this nice analogy that I thought I'd, I'd share, that uh, studying how, so his doctor, Mes Garani, he's an associate professor at, of electroengineering, engineering at Columbia in, uh, Engineering. And he says this, studying how the auditory cortex um, sorts of, sorts out different sounds is like trying to figure out what is happening on a large lake in which every boat swimmer and fish is moving and how quickly um, by only having patterns of ripples in the water as a guide. Oh, wow. That, yeah, that's a wonderful analogy because when you are using those electrodes, right, you're only picking up, like, I, I would assume like the external um, activity. You can't really, there's no sort of uh, fine tuning. Like, I can't choose which physical part of the brain um, other than like the surface layer as you mentioned the, the sort of ripples on the surface that's a wonderful analogy and you say this is an electrical engineer that's working on this kind of neurological um, study yeah and you, you yeah i was bringing that up like it it's crazy you see ees working in, in like this type of field like and it, it's it's nice to see that conjunction of of different majors different fields i guess coming, yeah. coming together um, and 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 solving like I guess researching these this kind of stuff. I mean that's like uh, I mean especially these days interdisciplinary research is inescapable. Um, it, it is a necessity for um, you know new research and, and new discoveries. But that's really cool you know hearing that we've got a an electrical engineer working on this kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> He's using those circuits. <laughs> <laughs> the circuits circuit two classes circuit one classes but um anyways what was that what was that operate what was that op amp we learned about the uh um differential op amp like yeah. there's a there's that there's one yeah the differential op amp. A dif differential okay okay cool <laughs> yeah, there's all kinds of them uh there's like the summing amplifier there's right the differential right. one that you brought up there's even the there's a name given to one of these amp op amps that we had one of our one of our problems i don't know if you remember Ah, uh, well, we'll we'll remember it later. I don't think we need to. <laughs> True. Okay. And so yeah. So oh, and then let me talk about the superior temporal gyrus. Um, I almost skipped over that, but it contains. Um, oh, it's 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 responsible for processing sound. Uh, spe uh, specific sound frequencies map precisely onto the auditory cortex. So, yeah, it's it. Uh, and I'll go into. I guess I'll, I'll go more into the uh, the HG, which they, which I, I'm going to use as an acronym HG for Heschel gyrus and. STG for superior temporal gyrus. Um, so there are three gyruses or, or plural, three of these gyri. gyri. So <laughs> I'm only talking about two of them. So the Heschel gyrus okay. and the superior temporal gyrus. And so now, yeah, so from the actual study, so they found that the uh, Heschel gyrus is able to separate the different voices from their different frequencies. 
So that's what um, they formed in that study. And the STG, or the superior temporal gyrus, forms an auditory object. And do you, do you, do you uh, want to guess what like, an auditory object is? An Ron? auditory object? Yeah. So it sounds like one part almost does like this kind of Fourier transform thing. And then you're saying uh, audio object. Is it like a, uh, just like a, 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 I don't know, a, a sequence of electrical pulses in the brain? Or it's like a, um, it's just some kind of, it's, it's literally some kind of uh, biochemical template or am I mistaken? <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's even simpler than that. <laughs> uh, oh, so, okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, but maybe the, you know, those processes are involved, but it's, it's which uh, I have it here, which is the mental representation, representation of the sound being heard and is the one. And so the SUG is the one that selects from the different frequencies, which voice it wanted to target. So, um, so an auditory object is, is what we, like when we hear uh, a guitar playing, we'll think about, okay, you know, we, we sort of have a mental representation of what a guitar looks like. And we, uh, so that's what, I guess, what, uh, does that, does that clear that auditory object? So is it almost like there's a, a, a pre-made template in the brain? Like it, it tries and, because you say, you say mental, you say an audio object. So I'm assuming there's like a, a frame of reference in our brain that's capable of distinguishing these different voices, right? Right. Correct. Yep. And, okay. Uh, so hmm. yeah, the STG. Uh, and so according to this article, it happens around 150 milliseconds, which is almost instantaneous to the listener, which when it, when it recognizes that uh, target voice. So... Wait, so remind me again. So what are the two parts? So we have the, the HG and the STG, right? Yep. So it goes to the HG first, and then it goes to the STG. Yep. yep. And the HG is responsible for um, the, the filtering. Like, it picks up those unique frequencies and different voices, right? Mm -hmm. And then the STG does, like, further sort of processing, or, or the, um, the mental or audio image is what you mentioned, right? So, yeah, it's, it's the one that actually, like, selects. Okay, that's the target. Oh, okay. So it's sort of like the uh, the demultiplexer, huh? <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, Demux. Yeah. yeah, the Demux. <laughs> yeah, that's a good circuit analogy. <laughs> um, and oh, okay. So now that we've like talked over the study, so what are what's well, like what are we going to use this for, right? Uh, I guess that's you know we, we do all this research. Right. What, what what's the point? what's the application? Right. So um, so this finding could help develop algorithms for hearing aids and help. Um, replicate this artificially so being able to sort of better understand how the hg and stg work together to be able to uh, better i guess create hearing aids that are able to target certain frequencies or certain oh, wow. targets okay uh, so uh, yeah and i'm willing to argue that this what like this what, what you the mechanism you just mentioned is sort of like the evolutionary equivalent of something like a fourier transform like you know how you go from the frequency domain to the, uh, wait, no, it's the time domain, the time domain to the frequency. I think that's our brain's natural way of doing that. Like all these different voices have mm. unique kind of uh, fingerprints. That's super cool. Wow. And yeah, it's crazy. And we, we do this instinct, like almost, almost like instinctively, right? We it's at 150 to, milliseconds, right? Yeah, we don't have to write down the formulas like, oh, right, right. Plus one, convert <laughs> this into a, uh, you know, it's, Sines and cosines, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess as our brain has evolved, it's just, it's just uh, been able wow. to do these things like instinctively, right? So, and you know, there's we're, we're struggling over here, like on our on our tests. Oh man, how do we, <laughs> how do we do what our brain does perfectly, like day to day, but we can't write it down on you know on our paper. Anyway. Right, right. Um, Which, what was I? Oh, 
it's funny you mentioned this kind of biological mechanism. There was an article I had, but this was like back during podcast two. So this is this is episode um, five, right? There's a four. Uh, this is four, huh? I lose track of numbers now. <laughs> Wait, no, no, no. Hold on, hold. On. I mean, I have the I have the thing here. It is okay. It's episode four. It's episode four. But I think during two, when I was doing research for episode two. Um, I came across um, some research showing that amoebas, so you know, single-celled amoebas, mm. can actually uh, run the traveling salesman problem. So in computer science, this is a very, um, it can run it in near linear time. Wow. This, this amoeba, the amoeba can find the, the necessary paths. Whereas, you know, computers, um, even the most efficient algorithms uh, are nowhere near that kind of level of efficiency. So. <laughs> right. And I think I saw that with mold too. I guess, is that sort of... The same brand. Yeah, it's like a, it's a fungus. Well, yeah, or, no, not not mold. Well, I don't know. Maybe. That particular article was about an amoeba, but I know what you're talking about. There is a fungus. Um, I don't know. I, I've seen it a couple times on YouTube. That does it. Ex, uh, ex, uh, it displays uh, an extraordinary um, degree of uh, what, what we might, you know, consider. Uh, uh, you know, it, it just looks a lot smarter than it should be, especially for a fungus. So. <laughs> right, and I mean, fungus is fungi or. or... Their applications also in um, recycling. I, I heard, I guess I think I read an article about they're using fungi to create um, household or like process plastics, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you think about it, like you know, our brain and, and that amoeba. I mean, those are over millions of years of evolution. So nature has slowly optimized, you know, these, uh, you know, these living things to to excel at what they need to do to survive. That's uh, I think that's absolutely uh, phenomenal. Right. I mean, yeah. I guess I guess the uh, we'll give them that they have millions. Of, I don't know how many years, but <laughs> on us, <laughs> that's the only that's my only excuse. <laughs> right, right. That's uh, that's true. I, I mean, I, I don't think we'd be willing to wait yeah, a million years to optimize something, but nature <laughs> has had the time, and and I think I forget the name, but there's a whole field of science that is absolutely dedicated to like literally mimicking biomimicry. So, so we, we learn from nature um, ways to optimize things in our real world. For example, um, the bullet train systems in Japan, I'm pretty certain those actually learn from birds. They, 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 they took a specific bird species and they modeled the train's nose after the actual bird because they had problems where um, when the train goes through a tunnel, it's, it's super noisy and, and it's not really efficient. Uh, so in order to minimize that, we, we learn from nature. Um, which has, has had, once again, millions of years to optimize these species for, um, you know, their uh, prime survivability. And that reminds me of, uh, I think, Japan or some country, they're also using fungi, I think, what, what we're talking about, to map out the closest way to get from point A to point B in a city. Oh, wow. Okay. So, who knows? Maybe in the future, um, our, our phones are going to have, like, a dedicated fungus chip in them or something. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Because I know... An algorithm um, for a fungi. That um that amoeba that I was telling you about, I, I looked at the actual research paper, um, and what they actually ended up doing was they they built a circuit, um, that modeled the amoeba's behavior. But I I you know I, it it almost sounded like they almost implied, and I might have misread this, that they put the amoeba like I would imagine you can have an amoeba on like a bunch of electrodes, and you can set up, a different configurations and let the amoeba kind of live time you know figure it out, but. Uh, that, that might be my imagination. I'll have to review that article again. But I, I, think, I think our audience has uh, had a, enough uh, learning about biomimicry. We're just, Ryan and I are both very, like we're, we're having a kind of geek out moment here because it's such a, it's such a phenomenally um, fascinating thing. 
uh, uh, you know, just all this nature around us to have optimized some of these problems that we have spent decades trying to figure out um, ourselves. It's definitely right. Cool. Sounds good. Uh, so I think, you know, some of you from the uh, title could already get the idea that I'm, I'm going to be talking about a recent development in terahertz radiation. So Ryan, if you had to guess where terahertz radiation lies on the sort of electromagnetic spectrum. So you have like really sort of long radio waves all the way to like, you know, say high energy X-rays or gamma radiation. Um, where would you say it sort of lays on that spectrum? Terahertz so tera radiation. is um, 1,000 what? Like uh, I'm not from converting. Okay. Well, okay. A terabyte is 1,000 gigabytes, right? So it's 1,000 terabytes, right? Wait, no. Wait, no, 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 no. So oh, a, a gigabyte. Terahertz. Okay. Right, in terahertz, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. Uh, you know, if you had a guess, you know, where would, where would radio, you say that kind of... Radio around there? So you're saying it's near radio waves. Well, that's a, uh, it's a bit off. It's, so it's between microwaves and optical radiation. Oh. So between like what our eyes can see and microwave radiation um, and sort of bordering infrared, that is sort of the terahertz region of radiation. And uh, just wait, 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 providing some context. Questions. Yeah, Mic go ahead. The microwave is found at what hertz? Uh, like... I didn't. I didn't write the actual number down. Okay. Uh, okay. Unfortunately. That's fine. But, yeah. yeah. But... Um, it, it's in that. It's in that neighboring region. Uh, the terahertz radiation. So, uh, the reason why I, I kind of you know uh, brought it up is because there, there there's been a, like a pretty interesting development here. Uh, but I think, you know, I, th I should give some context. Like, why do we care about terahertz radiation? Like, what's good about it? What are the um, uses? So I don't know if you heard about this, but um, there's an idea called T-rays. So, you know, normally we have X-rays, right, um, which are used to sort of uh, do internal scans and, and figure out the underlying structure behind things. But the problem with X-rays is they're ionizing radiation. So... Uh, Ryan, I don't know if you've ever had like an x-ray taken, but there's like, you know how like doctors have a limit for patients, right? Uh, uh, you're talking about limit for the number of times they can visit, right? Like say a dentist, they only can have like two, I don't know how many visits, but per year because of the radiation. Uh, not visits so much. Well, um, yeah. Okay. There you go. The, the amount of radiation, right? Like doctors have to be cognizant of like, okay, has this patient had X number of x-rays within the past week or month? And that becomes kind of problematic, right? Right, right. So um, basically, the idea behind uh, terahertz radiation, though, is that it's non-ionizing. So when I say radiation is ionizing, like it's, it's going to start uh, affecting uh, molecules and your, and your DNA. You know, it actually starts to bombard and, and break down that molecular structure, not with uh, terahertz radiation. It's a lot safer um, to work with. Oh, wow. So instead of X-rays, we call them T-rays. Okay. Huh. So that's, uh, that's one application. Um, there's also a security benefit. Uh, so I think some police agencies have started to experiment with this as well, as well as the military. But uh, the terahertz radiation can penetrate cloth, but it gets blocked by like metals or non-metals as well. So if you, if you had like a, uh, I would say a knife made purely out of plastic, mm -hmm. the terahertz radiation would pick it up, whereas an x-ray scanner might miss the um, plastic weapon. Okay, so it's able to go through like very thin material or yeah but then yeah. Metal, it, it, it can't it can't go through so can uh, it go th depending on how you tune it yeah oh, okay i see i see because x-rays um have the feet like i would argue that x-rays go a little too far and you miss certain targets you're looking for 
But with terahertz radiation, um, you can actually tune it in such a way that like you, uh, plastics or certain non-metals will come up as well. And uh, explosives even have a, uh, a special terahertz fingerprint. Oh. So, um, you know, if, if you had like an explosive material on you and I, I used like terahertz based radiation to scan you, there's a, a unique fingerprint for different kinds of explosives. So I, I could be able to like, just like that, I could tell like you're, you know, harboring some kind of explosive. So that's um, definitely so, another one of the. So they use uh -huh. it in, in military, I'm assuming, right? Uh, police. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been gaining a lot of traction. Like right now, the technology is in, oh. in its infancy. Um, because cool. terahertz radiation is really hard to generate. Like it's surprisingly difficult to uh, pull off. Uh, and oh, okay. the last application uh -huh. that I wanted to give is that uh, terahertz, radi uh, terahertz frequencies are a potential candidate for 6G. Whoa. 6G. Yeah, 6G. I, I so we're looked into that or like read about it. So we're just like beginning with 5G, but a lot of people, some people are saying like, um, you can transmit more information uh, uh, faster with this higher sort of frequency. So, um, wow. so terahertz might be the, uh, might be the way of the future. Very well could be. 6G, I mean, how much Gs can go up, you know, 7G, 8G? I don't think there's a limit, cap? but um, of course, so, so I think there are two parts to it. One of them is like the transmission frequency. So, you know, like how much information can I cram in, in a certain unit of time? But they also use different encoding schemes and uh, they, they find ways to um, uh, cram more information per each encoding scheme. I, I'm not too familiar with how those schemes work, but I'm, I am aware like, like 2G to 3G to 4G, this um, in, encoding scheme is responsible for being able to carry more data um, in one transmission versus, say, older generations. Okay, okay. And to, in order to generate these terahertz, how, do you know uh, how they're able to, I guess, the instruments so they use? So normally they've, from, like, I haven't looked too much into the exact instruments, but they, they, it's always like some massive laser or like a particle accelerator or, you know, like it's a really exotic setup. It's not like how our cell phones have like the built-in transmitters. And that's like, that's super easy to, you know, generate a, a, an existing signal. But for terahertz radiation, it, it's this really um, uh, intricate setup. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not easy. Okay, wow. So it has, so it, 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 it's, like you said, it's in, in I guess in its baby stage. Uh, but yeah, it's, it has, it's in its infancy, it that's true. Pro promises in um, military, police, field, uh, and uh, what are some other like fields that can potentially? Uh, scientific, uh, a lot of research when you have to like, be, because uh, terahertz uh, radiation has the uh, opportunity to give uh, some higher resolution images we've never seen before with normal microscopes. Okay. You can get like much better detail um, and clarity with uh, uh, you know, more imaging. So, so if you're in the material sciences, if you study biology, um, that's definitely a, a huge plus is that increased resolution um, from this uh, sort of new range of, of frequencies you can work with, this terahertz radiation. Oh, I see. Wow. So, so, huh. so it's, it's, you actually touched on a great point um, uh, that it's really difficult to generate these terahertz frequencies. But there's been a recent development um, in, uh, from a research group from Spain and uh, Germany, I think, and, and they have managed to find a way to make it a lot easier to generate these terahertz frequencies. So let me go ahead and, and kind of tear that apart real quick. Let's go. <laughs>
Let's go, John. So this uh, was presented in the uh, ACS uh, Nano German uh, Journal. So this is by a German Spanish research team. So once again, you know, you see that overarching theme in the sciences, right? Uh, Ryan, you mentioned we had that electrical engineer, but this is like a almost multinational uh, uh, sort of interdisciplinary research thing. It's, it's really cool seeing this kind of stuff happen um, with the uh, real world sciences. So this is uh, mainly done by the, and this is kind of a bit of a mouthful. Um, this is the Hemholtz Zentrum Dresden Russendorf uh, HZDR uh, Research Lab. <laughs> wow. Uh, Ryan, before I go any further, have you heard of graphene? Do you know what graphene is? Uh, I heard of it. It's some type of, I guess, material they use in, in, in things that I, I don't, can't remember off the top of my head. But what, what, right, what, right. What's, it's, what, what are the, how does graphene, you know, touch on this story? So graphene is core to how they pulled off this um, this sort of uh, terahertz generation scheme. But I think uh, I think it'd be good for the audience to get like a little context. How does that sound, Ryan? Yeah, let's do it. So normally, um, uh, graphene is really nothing more than a, a really thin layer, uh, maybe just a couple hundred atoms, maybe or less than that. Like ideally, um, it'd only be an atom thick um, of carbon atoms. So so imagine I have one carbon atom here. And each carbon atom is in this kind of hexagon, and they're all sort of bordering each other. So each carbon atom has three bonds. But carbon atoms normally have four electrons that are available for bonding, which means I have a free electron. And that free electron is incredibly useful um, in terms of uh, graphene being used for capacitors, you know, for storing uh, long charges, uh, transistors. Uh, um, and a number of other uh, electronic components. Graphene is very ideal um, for that kind of stuff. So it's, it's, it's a very thin layer um, of carbon atoms that are all bonded together in a hexagonal fashion. That's graphene for you. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, so going back to the article here, um, the idea um, was that the, the, this team, this HZDR team, um, found a, a couple years back that if you take graphene and you irradiate it with light pulses in, in the low terahertz frequency range, um, the graphene will naturally convert it to higher frequencies. Graphene acts as a frequency uh, a multiplier. Oh, wow. Uh... Which is great, because I told you, it's really hard to generate terahertz frequencies. So if we can get a lower frequency and pump it up to a higher frequency, that's great. Right, right. Um, OK, OK, go on. <laughs> so the the idea what they the problem with this method though like even though graphene has this property is you still need like a massive laser or some kind of accelerator to generate the original low terahertz frequencies. So they came up with a new idea where you take the graphene and you coat it with what they call lamellae. And lamellae this was probably from the article itself. This was a um, by SciTech Daily. Mm -hmm. Um, lamellae um, is a more of a bio biology term, but they use it here in material sciences. It's kind of interesting. Um, it's a thin layer of stuff. And in this case, uh, it's a thin layer of gold they put the graphene on. So, so they, they have glass, and then you put the graphene on the glass, and then you put aluminum oxide, and then you put the gold on top. So it's like a little, it's like a little sandwich almost. And it covers the graphene. Yes, it, it covers okay. the gold is the important thing here because according to, uh, let's see, uh, Klaus John Thielruz, who I hope I'm saying that right. So uh, he works with the collaborating laboratory from the Catalan Institute of Nanoscience and Nanotechnology. 
the lamellae actually acts like an antenna that, that amplifies the um, radiation that the graphene receives. So by sandwiching the graphene with this gold foil, um, we can actually get the same amplification, like the frequency multiplier, but without the need for such, like, you know, such intense radiation. Wow. Okay. So, um, and uh, I guess does graphene, I wonder if graphene would have like a, uh, like if it could explode, like in these, in these, under, under these high frequencies. Like I don't know about the combustibility of graphene, <laughs> although that is a, a fun question. But um, in fact, I'm not like I, I wish I had um, I think that this paper was paywalled. It might have been. But because I, I can tell you like what they discovered, but uh, more often than not, um, I think you and I, as well as the audience, are a little more curious about the mechanism. Right. right. Okay. So why is it? that you know, this ultra-thin layer or sheet of carbon can uh, produce this kind of behavior. So I wasn't able to figure that out, but, but this is something that they, they recently discovered. Um, yeah. And uh, basically what they did was they found out uh, after doing this is you can get the same output with a, weaker, a much weaker signal. And they also found out that the, the more gold you put on it and the less graphene you expose, the more the, ampli uh, the, the multiplication. So originally they, they doubled the frequency and then later on they got it to like sevenfold um, or even ninefold increases in frequency. Wow. That's so, yeah, yeah, no, no, go uh, ahead. That's a, that's a lot of like application, uh, amplification on, on that graphene with all those. I think it's better to say like multiplication because they're, they're increasing the frequency. So, okay. you know, it's higher. The amplitude, I think, it, the amplitude might stay the same, or it could potentially diminish. Like I would, I wouldn't be surprised if you know, you're pumping it through this graphene. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe there's some kind of signal loss. But the real exciting thing, and the, the heart of the article that I wanted to get to you and the audience, is that this kind of technology, this uh, lamellae coated graphene sheet, is compatible with existing semiconductor technology. So the the stuff that we have in our phones and in our computers. This graphene um, material can integrate with that um, nicely. So you don't need, we may not need a massive laser anymore. Like, so terahertz um, related radio technology is almost, you know, within our fingertips. Oh. It's, it's a huge step towards making it more accessible um, for people like you and me, for the average consumer. Because, yeah, I mean, lasers, they can go, they're pretty pricey, right? They're, like a they're, they're incredibly pricey. And some of them are massive. Like, I don't know, you've seen pictures, right? Like in a, in a laboratory, it, it, you know, like that thing will probably take up uh, many more uh, times the size of my existing room right now. <laughs> just, to sh like just to shoot a little beam of, of electrons out. Right. Uh, or um, a very precise uh, wavelength light. Yeah. It, it's got to be super finely tuned. But with this technology, because if we can multiply the frequency, that means that I could potentially start at like a, a gigahertz frequency, which is way easier to pull off, mm -hmm. and then get a terahertz frequency out of it. So I can, I can start low, do that irradiation at photon or, or that uh, uh, light-based irradiation, and then I can get a higher um, frequency out of it. That's nice. That's like super nice because you start low and then you can just add on to it, you know? The, yeah, the, exactly. The more frequency you need, just add on to it rather than it being you start at a really high frequency pricey right but then not being able to you know i guess uh what's the opposite divide <laughs> if you multiply it now you gotta you know you can't divide it so 
Yeah, that's that's a. Uh, I, I can see how it, it would be cost more cost efficient. Oh, considerably, definitely. Yeah. Um, graphene is not that expensive to um, to make either, because I mean, like I think traditionally when they were doing research with graphene, if you take if you take something like pencil lead, and you um, I don't know if I were to take this uh, this sticky pad here and and go ahead and you know, really, really kind of scribble it in here. So now you see there's like this little patch of mm -hmm. graphite. And I take uh, scotch tape and I, I put it on here and I mm -hmm. peel it off. And you, you kind of repeatedly do that. That was originally, I think, how most scientists began research with graphene. But later on, we, we have methods of growing um, much more refined uh, graphene these days. Interesting. Wow. Uh, do, do you happen to know off the top of your head, like where else they use graphene in? Like, oh, uh, so I mentioned uh, supercapacitors. Okay. So, so in certain like that's being researched as well. Um, I think transistors as well. Uh, uh, you know, so it might be a it might be an up and coming replacement for silicon, um, which is exciting because silicon is very. It, it, we're already pushing the boundaries um, with existing chips, like you know, uh, silicon transistors in terms of speed and size and, and power consumption, uh, and uh, quantum computing. Um, there are. There's been news recently of some uh, more recent research of uh, using graphene to make. Uh, I think certain uh, uh, it, uh, to to sort of make uh, qubits or to use them to help facilitate make making qubits. Yeah. Okay. So in order to make qubits, John, how do how do you go about doing that? Do you have to use a laser in order? Like how, what? ah. Okay. So so Ryan's Ryan's touching in a home territory for me. <laughs> um, if you guys look at the about page on on Twitch, uh, most of you know that I I have some expertise in the area of quantum computing. Uh, so, so the interesting thing, like you mentioned, how do you make a qubit? And there's actually no one answer for that because a qubit is nothing more than, um, I always put it this way, it's any object, any object that can satisfy uh, two sort of quantum criteria, superposition and entanglement. So, so traditionally, like uh, in the very early days of quantum computing, and it's still being done today, um, you do ion trapping. So I, I get some metal, I think they use like either ytterbium or um, maybe something else, but you, you get a gas, like an ionized gas, mm -hmm. and you put the, the um, ion in a magnetic field, and you can use that as a qubit because it has like a certain spin to oh, it. Wow. Um, you know, that, that kind of inherent um, property, spin, um, because you can do entanglement and superposition with spin. Um, but you can also do it with photons. Um, that's another... Um, way to do it. Photonic quantum computing. Um, for those of you that have been following the news um, regarding China's kind of, uh, you know, recent declaration that they sort of beaten, they have the most powerful quantum computer. I would take that with a pinch of salt. Um, but that is uh, a Gaussian boson sampling. I won't, I'm not going to give too much detail for this particular um, uh, episode. But hey, if, if chat, if, if, if yeah. chat is interested, we could do an episode totally, you know, on, on you know, quantum computing and all that stuff. Yeah. But I'm going back to a qubit. Like I'm trying to say, like there are many different ways you can do it. There's no one um, proper way to make a qubit. It's, a qubit is nothing more than a uh, a kind of quantum system, and there are many ways you can have quantum behavior. Um, so it's not just um, individual ions. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, uh, well, what's the time right now? I think it's oh, I think, 57. Oh, yeah. So yeah, so, this, so I think we are nearing. Was, uh, the, is that like the last? sort of bits to your article, John? Uh, yeah, I would say like, you know, uh, uh, I guess the big take home here is that, you know, that terahertz technology is, is up and coming. I mean, it's, right. 
um, we've seen this kind of development, um, uh, and uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, what they can do with this. Uh, so yeah, look, we, look so um, this is also kind of a materials-based thing, um, but it, 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 I think we should start with uh, Ryan. What do you know like about how a catalyst works? How familiar? How much chemistry do you still remember from high school? Oh, <laughs> the catalyst is what I guess sparks the reaction to occur. Well. Uh, in some cases, yes. In some, in some oh, cases, yes. Otherwise, yeah. in the other cases, like when it uh, when it does something different. But man, I, I remember from bio, even in bio, like learning about catalysts, different catalysts did uh, they do different things. Oh man, I'm trying to remember. You know, it's funny. This this word always triggers my memory into a Snoop Dogg <laughs> and this Mac and Devin. Why Snoop Dogg? Because <laughs> the Mac and Devin uh, go to high school movie. Have you seen that movie? I, I no, I, I have not seen that movie at all. I have, I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> so Snoop Dogg and Wiz Khalifa, they they're high school <laughs> they're high school students. John in this movie, they're high school students, and, and they they uh, Wiz Khalifa is like a really smart, uh, chemi guy, and then Snoop Dogg is kind of laid back, chilled, and so towards the end of the movie, um, they're trying to find this catalyst in order to <laughs> create energy from from the, from doing this really funny experiment, and. Uh, so they do it, and then uh, he has a song that has like catalyst. So it always triggers my. Oh, so oh. You say catalyst, I first think of Mac and Devin go to high school. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but yeah, go well, on, John. So I, I think I think for audience, uh, even if the audience does know what a catalyst is, I think it's I think it's great to kind of uh, get a real idea of what the the nitty gritty of a catalyst is. So uh, when a chemical reaction occurs, there has to be some. It's sort of like an energy barrier that has to be overcome. Oh, that's what it is for those John. those bonds to be barrier. broken. And then reforming. That's that's essentially every chemical reaction, right? Like you you have your reactants, you the bonds break apart, and then they reform into new compounds. That, that's pretty much any any chemical reaction uh, you can think of. But what a catalyst does, it's really nice, is it lowers the energy barrier, which oh. makes certain reactions go faster, um, or uh, certain reactions sometimes don't even happen. Like, and, and you need a catalyst to actually get it to um, go in some kind of feasible amount of time. And the way a catalyst does that. Is it's it provides this kind of weak surface that the um, the molecules are prone to break apart first and attach to the surface of the catalyst. And on the surface of the catalyst, it takes a lower amount of energy for those atoms to recombine and make your new compound. So that's a, a quick review of what a catalyst does. Oh, and a, and a, one more important detail: catalysts are not consumed in a reaction. So. That means like if I, uh, I don't know, maybe we're making cookies and I don't know what kind of cookies need this, but maybe there's a palladium catalyst I'm using um, to uh, bake these cookies. I know these are toxic cookies, but, but basically when I'm done with that first batch of cookies, I can make another batch and reuse the palladium. The palladium itself doesn't go away. It, it's just a, a binding surface um, for those, um, those compounds. Great. Yeah, that, that, that reminds me now that when you say lower the... Lower the... Uh, active activation. Yeah, I, I think I think the proper term is activation energy yeah. or energy barrier. The I mean, I, I I I call it an energy barrier um, in case you know our audience has people who may not be as inclined um, you know towards chemistry. <laughs> right, right. So yeah. this is um, a pretty recent publication, uh, and it was it came from uh, Tian Chun Xiao. I hope I'm saying that right. It's kind of embarrassing considering I'm like. I can I can speak Chinese, but uh, when I have to read certain names, I, I kind of butcher the pronunciation. Um, so uh, I think they are a, a chemist at the University of Oxford, and they came up with an iron-based catalyst. It's iron molybdenum potassium, uh, 
um, that converts and and get this, Ryan, it converts carbon dioxide into jet fuel. Uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That, I mean, is it that simple? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I once again, we're it's, getting this news from we'll be so so yeah. the the news has already simplified the research paper, and right. now we're taking it one step further. <laughs> but occasionally, um, you know, I'll go back to the original paper That's and cool. I will I'll interlace details. So I'll take parts of the paper and then I take the article and I kind of weave it together so our audience could get a much better picture of what's going on. That's pretty cool. So. Uh, in the past, there, there were attempts to get this kind of carbon dioxide into some other useful fuel. So let me, before I go any further, why do you think carbon dioxide is such a pain in the butt to convert into a fuel? Like, like what, what is it about CO2 that makes it hard to, um, you know, uh, say, convert back into a, a, a gasoline that a car could use? Well, cars, when they use gasoline, they... It, you know, goes to the exhaust and, and comes out as CO two. Right, they combust it, back, it. Yeah, to convert it back is you have to do the reverse of that, which. Uh, you're not. You're not wrong. It, so it is. Like, um, that's, uh, it's more like the actual structure of carbon dioxide. It, it's like two double bonds. Like it, carbon dioxide is a very, very stable compound. It does not want to react unless you really force it to. And carbon so, has six atoms, right? I mean, uh, that's exactly has, uh, six, uh, whatchamacallit, on the periodic table, it's like six, uh, I'm, I'm blanking out. Oh, you mean valence electrons? I thought it was four. I'm sorry, yeah, four valence electrons. Carbon has four valence yeah. electrons, because I, I just remember talking about graphene, right? Yeah. Those three of those electrons go to bonding with the other carbons, and then you have one free electron is kind of, you know, uh, 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 for graphene, for graphene. In, in diamonds, it's different. Diamonds, you actually have... Um, each carbon atom with four other carbon atoms. So, oh, um, so graphene's very kind of crumbly. Like, like if I if I took this thing here, and you know I, I were to um, you know I can I can rub it off of my thumb. You can kind of see the little um, sheen from it. Whereas you know diamonds, you rub a diamond, you're not going to lose any carbon atoms. So, okay. But uh, but yeah. So part of the reason carbon dioxide is so um, much of a pain in the butt for chemists is because it, it, it doesn't want to react with anything. It's like a noble gas. It just, it just simply it doesn't want to be bothered. So before this catalyst, there was already research into converting carbon dioxide um, back into fuel. Uh, and you can, you can imagine, Ryan, like why people want to do that. Like when we burn fuel, mm -hmm. CO2 is responsible for a lot of these greenhouse gases, right? Right. I mean, it's not the only greenhouse gas, but it is like a real pain in the butt. Mm -hmm. So if we can find a way to take back that carbon dioxide and turn it back into a fuel, you know, that, that's like really nice. It's like a, it's a, it's a, it's a, cycle. a combo. Almost, yeah, it's, it's like a combo. It's like because, recycling it. Right. You get rid of the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and you have fuel. So you can, you can, you know, you can still burn um, that stuff for transportation and, and, and what have you. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so, so prior attempts at doing what I'm about to um, tell you now uh, is that for like jet fuels, are you are you familiar with like what hydrocarbons look like, Ryan? Not the, not off the top of my head. But but you know like hydrocarbons are just like carbon and hydrogen, right? Right, right, right. Hydrocarbons. So uh, in, in nature, like usually uh, hydrocarbons like to form chains. So you can have like really short ones, like like methane's only one carbon atom, and then you can have like other really long ones. 
and sometimes uh, the, they're not just chains. Sometimes they like to branch out as well. And for jet fuel, we need longer chains or, or uh, you know, just more carbons per molecule. And the problem that a lot of scientists originally had with these, with trying to use catalysts to convert carbon dioxide into um, fuel, is that the uh, resulting products have too few carbons. It's it's too little. Um, and and uh, you know, other methods weren't single step like this method I'm telling you right now. You could do it in one go. Previously, some uh, some research focused on like okay. We're going to take the CO2, we're going to convert it into something else, and then we're going to convert that something else back into, you know, all of your other stuff, which is like, you know, that's a, that's a waste time and resources, right? Right. There's multiple steps to that. And then yeah, just doing so, one step. It, I mean, and as you, I think as you do those multiple steps, you're increasing like things that can go wrong. Or right. Exactly. You, you of, efficiency, right. right? You lose efficiency. There's right. like more steps that ingredients can leak out. Um, in the original research paper, I don't know the exact method, but one of the complaints is it uses a lot of water. Like there's one process that used like a, a, a boatload of water. It was just totally infeasible for practical usage. But for, um, for this method, um, what they did was they had a reaction chamber and they, they set it to um, 300 degrees Celsius and they pressurized it to sort of 10 times the air pressure at sea level. And they put the CO2 in and the catalyst. And then over, uh, I think it, take, it needs uh, hydrogen as well. Um, so over 20 hours, the catalyst converted um, 38% of that CO2 into new chemical products in just 20 hours. And 48% of those new products are uh, jet fuel hydrocarbons. Wow. Wow. So it, it did 48% you said or 38? Um, so uh, 38% of the CO2 in 20 hours, in 20 hours, it got converted into um, new chemical products. And then... In those products, 48% of them were um, jet fuel, hydrocarbons. Oh, wow. So almost like 50%, yeah. almost half of it. Right. The other, the other stuff is actually still useful. There's still hydrocarbons you can use to make plastics, which I'm not a big fan of, you know, just mm -hmm. because plastics are terrible for the environment. But you're still getting use out of, you know, uh, carbon dioxide that was previously discarded. I'd call that a win. Yeah, no, that, that, that sounds amazing. Wow. And... Uh... What was, uh, where are they researching this one more time, John? I, f I forgot. This is at the University of Oxford. Okay. Wow. That sounds, yeah. And just being able to recycle things like, like CO2 from our atmosphere, I feel like is a big, oh, big, and, big step into uh, the future. <laughs> oh, definitely. And, and one last, like, I think this is one extra piece of good news mm -hmm. is the byproduct is perfectly harmless because it, um, when you're, it's CO2, right? So it's um, one carbon, two oxygens. So the oxygens just bind with the hydrogen. So your byproduct is water. That's it. It's, you know, there's no harmless, uh, oh. there's no harmful ingredients left over. It's just, it's just water. Wow. And who doesn't like water? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, you know, water's not going to kill anything. So wow. it's, it's uh, really good news. Oh, that, that's, yeah, that sounds really hopeful. For the future especially with all the, yeah. the co2 being emitted and the whole you know we got to take that out of the atmosphere and if we can right, do that right. recycling it i think that's the, like that's the best way to go you know reusing what, what we, we've, we've previously used to in order to fuel i guess our rockets or you know things that are going to be going elsewhere yeah jet fuel jet yeah fuel, yeah or in our planes and all that stuff i think my concern though is um, this is like 
really economical, but how economical, right? Because you have to heat it to 300 degrees Celsius. Mm. The pressure has to be 10 times that of sea level. And then um, to top things off, you need hydrogen gas. So hydrogen gas, uh, like, like uh, Ryan, how much do you know about like yeah. uh, the, what, the hydrogen fuel economy? Have you heard that term before? Uh, not so much. Please, please educate me, John. Or uh, hydrogen fueled cars. Have you heard that? I heard of well? that. I saw an article about like, hydrogen fueled car, but right. not so, that many being like, you know, made. <laughs> At least, uh, yeah, I mean, the, uh, the huge debate is you need to find a way that you, you get sort of more energy than you put in, right? Otherwise, what's the point? Mm -hmm. So hydrogen is, uh, uh, there are a number of ways to produce hydrogen by um, electrolysis. So I don't know if, you, if you've done that experiment where you take water and you, you stick the electrodes in uh -huh. and then like one electrode, the hydrogen gas accumulates and another electrode, the oxygen accumulates. So electrolysis or um, maybe bacteria, but either way, you need to produce a large volume of hydrogen. And, and hydrogen production is crucial to those uh, hydrogen-powered cars. And, and a lot of people are arguing that maybe we're not there yet. Like it just simply isn't economical to produce so much hydrogen um, with current technology. Right. And I mean, I guess that, that sort of shows as to why you wouldn't see any like, hydrogen cars made is because of that fact. Um, right. Well, I mean that and market demand, right? Like yeah, I think, I think just now I'm willing to argue that, you know, because of efforts from Tesla, a lot of people are like, wow, electric cars are like the, the hip new thing. Like yeah. every cool person drives an electric car. Um, but I don't think it's the same yet with, with hydrogen. So yeah. not to mention the, oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say electric cars have been here too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah. And I, I would argue like the infrastructure for electric cars is already around us. Every home has an electrical outlet. You just have to install that like the wall charger, but that's not too difficult. Like, like there's, there's electricity um, wherever you can, like wherever you go in the world, like there's always like an outlet not, you know, to be found pretty close by. So I'd argue that's really helpful. Whereas hydrogen gas, I mean, you think about it, you gotta have the infrastructure in place and um, safety, um, like safety, right? Like, what's the one downside of hydrogen gas you can think of? Uh, I think of blowing up. <laughs> yeah, um, precisely. Hydrogen is hydrogen <laughs> incredibly <bomb>. flammable. <laughs> uh, well, H bombs are a little different, right? Um, you know, like the how they work, right? Uh, not so quite. I don't think I, I don't think I've really read into H like how, how hydrogen bombs work. All I know so is... it's. Oh, I ahead. think from. What I remember is like there's, uh, it begins like a normal nuclear bomb. So there's the initial explosion inside, but then they coat the the um, the exterior has like hydrogen or it, it's some kind of other, uh, shoot, is it hydrogen? But fusion happens like, and then there's like another, uh, it, yeah, it's like a, it, it fuses hydrogen, and the energy released from the fusion is used again to make like a, a third kind of explosion. That, that's like way bigger than just a single nuclear bomb because the initial explosion gives the pressure and the heat that you need for nuclear fusion to occur. That's an H-bomb. I see. So the, the hydrogens are just used to like diffuse to get to a higher, I guess, explosion? Yeah, pretty much. Oh. It's just like you, you instantaneously, for, this, uh, for like a split second, you have nuclear fusion. 
but uh, but yeah, hydrogen is not a, a great thing to work with, you know, because the um, I mean, but the potential for flammability um, is, is definitely a concern. Right, and but the thing is with Tesla is that let's say you live in the middle of I don't know what like the mid the mid countries of the, in the U.S. It's like like the the Midwest. Yeah, the Midwest. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> what are you gonna do if you're out of electricity? You know, I don't think there's a like a close plug by the canyons. That's like the only that's true, but see of of electric cars if you live in the Midwest, obviously. But I mean, that's like where um, Musk kind of gets his opportunity to shine, right? Like he's like, oh, you don't have electricity. Why don't I sell you solar panels and power banks? So you that way you'll never run out of electricity. <laughs> that's true. But Ryan, have you heard like lithium batteries aren't really that great for the environment? Um, I see articles about like lithium batteries, oh, how to make them better, how to make them more, I guess, ergonomical or like to benefit the environment. But like, but uh, yeah, go go, go <laughs> educate me on uh, on that one too. So lithium extraction is not really a very um, environmentally friendly procedure. There are a lot of toxic byproducts that come from extracting lithium. And, and Ryan, you're, you're right. I mean, I, I have seen some of those um, articles as well. Um, cobalt, right? Cobalt electrodes or, um, there was actually a report that came out that showed like a, a lot of um, certain uh, medical hospital, not medical hospitals, medical schools, you know, med schools are finding out that students when they need to learn um, surgery, right? So you, you, you're holding a scalpel and it's a really, really precise incision. Um, what ends up happening is students don't have the flexibility because they're holding like for the majority of their lifetime they're holding their phone like this really yeah like so it, it actually like a has a long term yeah and it's 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 a bad thing because oh, you know as a wow. as a surgeon wow. you know you need and there, there, you know some some teachers or professors are saying like we we have students that you know can't do certain things because their their hands are like permanently kind of like morphed or stuck in that phone holding position yeah, that reminds you i i I, uh, I was i was on the internet and i was reading someone had like seven hours of, of time on their phone like you know how you, I, I guess apple sends out how much screen time you have right and so right. Pe- yeah i guess people that are on social media like a lot seven hours nine hours ten hours i'm like wow you know, what well, was it? Was it on their phone like for a whole day, or was it like just social media, like seven hours per day? Because that's I think, I think just that would being be on their extreme phone. for anyone. I think just be on their phone in general. Well, that time really adds up. Like, I mean, if if you think about it, you know, we're not really aware of like how attached we are to our, you know, mobile devices, right? If I think it's like per day, I don't know, maybe per day. Okay. Yeah, like per day, you know, ten hours on your phone. Usually, I'm on my computer. Like, I'm not gonna like say that i'm not connected to the internet I'm, I'm on my computer but like on my phone i'm usually like maybe two hours a day i mean yeah like average about like two hours a day if i watch youtube watch netflix or if i watch uh, uh i don't know if i go on no, instagram same. i mean i always have like music playing in the background as well you know something that kind of calm my nerves or or get me in the mood to uh study okay pseudo says my daily average on my phone is four hours but I will wake my phone up and set it down while on my computer. So it will count a lot of, oh, okay. So yeah, those statistics might not be entirely accurate. That's true. Um, that is that is an excellent point, Suda. Yeah. But uh, what were we talking about again? We, 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 we uh, <laughs> hydrogen. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, hydrogen. Yeah, I, I was talking about like or, or lithium, right? I, I think oh, yeah, I was talking lithium, about like right. like you know lithium isn't as like it, it, lithium batteries are not kind of like the end all solution. Uh, they have like this terrible um, environmental side effect. Although, uh, I, I, Ryan, I, how much do you know about sort of asteroid mining? Like, have you heard the news? Like, you know, some there are uh, people or organizations that have proposed that idea, right? Yeah, I I, I, I don't know. They, have they done it? Like. Uh, well, have they tried implementing I don't, it? I, don't, I, I, I mean, te- I technically they have, I know, uh, Hayabusa, I know, Hayabusa right. too, right? <laughs> right. Well, I think when I so, think of like mining, I'm thinking of like huge chunks of the asteroid, you know, like bringing back. Yeah. Big chunks. Yeah. You gotta, <laughs> big you got chunks. like a massive drill and you go in there and you got to extract, um, all that, all, all those precious minerals and, and metals. Uh, so it, I, I mean, right now. I guess you technically could pull it off, right? I mean, Hayabusa 2 managed to, but it's not easy. Like, like, I think the problem with that, like, asteroid mining is the profitability. Because it, it's really expensive to build and design a satellite. Yeah. It's even more expensive to get the thing, you know, off of Earth and into space. So, I mean, yeah, uh, it's even difficult to, to be able to have a team that will calculate every precise calculation to get that on right. the asteroid. You know, you're not going right, to have, absolutely. like... A startup just be okay. You know, let's 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 create a company to 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 go asteroid mining, and they're gonna. I think what would. Yeah, I, I, what would have to happen is is like you have to have like a a remote like a floating space station or something, right. and, and people will stay like maybe around this asteroid belt for a, a long period of time because you want it to be economical. So you don't want as many trips. So you, ideally, you'd like. You know, get all the resources pre-processed, and then you like send them to Earth in, in one in one instant. Yeah, that would be interesting. Like having, um, I guess you know, s- satellite stations where you could stop by, um, sort of refuel, you know, and then be able to, I guess, you know, and like in the future, future, be able to do those big mines. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, or the other have you ever? Would, oh, like or the I've other thing would be movie. like. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I should, I should, I should, Ryan, you should, you know, go, go ahead. Or what go if ahead. there's like, you know, we, we just do this all drone based where we just send the drone, but that's going to, I think that's cost a lot more money. I don't know. Cost a lot of money. In the future, money. it might be cheaper. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, you know, this, this kind of technology um, gets cheaper all the time. I mean, that's, uh, that's how scientific advancement works. Uh, you know, right. like technology gets faster, smaller, cheaper, um, you know, more bang for your buck. Absolutely. So, so who knows? We don't know. Yeah. What were we going to say? Um, oh, I wanted to ask if you've seen the movie um, Alien. Yeah, I think I have. It's, it's uh, is Alien with the like the predators, or is that Alien versus Predator? Uh, that's Alien versus Predator. But there's like like the OG movie like Alien. I may have. I just it's been a long time since if I would have seen that movie. It's it. That, there's the alien that comes out of the egg and it like attaches to the guy's face. Oh no no I haven't. Oh you have okay. That was too scary okay, well, for me when I was. <laughs> Hey, watch it. I mean, we're on break. We're on break, dude. Go ahead. And and I think it's a great, but, but anyway, the reason I bring it up is because the actual ship that the protagonist is on is a mining ship in in space, in space. Like it's carrying a bunch of um, ore, Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe not from, not from earth, but like from like another planet or, or potentially asteroids as well. The USSCSS, USCS. I forget what the, but it was like the Nostromo. I just remember it's like a random detail, but I love that movie. I think I've seen it like multiple times as well as Blade Runner. I love that movie a lot. I, I saw Cowboys oh. versus Aliens. 
reanimated Nat says good movie. So I'm, I'm glad to have another um, fellow alien fan um, with us as well. I, I adore that movie. <laughs> yeah. The only, yeah. I only seen a bit of alien versus predator. I've seen, I saw Cowboys versus aliens. I don't know if you saw that movie. Cowboys versus aliens. I think I'm, I think I'm, I'm vaguely familiar with it. Um, although I, I, that's kind of, a, that's a really visceral movie, right? Like they do experimentation on humans. Right. And, and, um, like yep. that, that I felt, I felt that might even be arguably more visceral, like more, it, you just yeah. feel more disgusted than alien. But yeah. a, then again, aliens got like a, a literal alien bust out of a guy's chest. So it, it, it's subject to taste. Is that from <laughs> that famous scene of like literally the alien coming out of the guy's chest and it's like super like weird looking and it's like pink? I don't know. Pink. I don't like, remember if it was pink. I think it was white. But... Maybe it was white. I don't know. I'll have to. You know what? This this is this stream is a good reminder that I should rewatch Alien. So this stream is a good reminder. I need to rewatch movies. I haven't re- I haven't seen. Yeah, yeah. A good movie in a while. Well, hmm, I don't know. Shows. I've been watching shows like a bunch of anime. Bunch of anime. Oh, like, okay. Ryan Ryan's inclined towards. Um, I haven't I haven't really watched much of anything. I've been I've been playing Stardew Valley. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cute game. It's it's super yeah, wholesome. I heard yeah, it's yeah. really good. A good game. I think I think in all of our lives, you know, like especially for any of you college students watching, or if you're in a job, it's always like, oh, get this done, you know, at this deadline, or you're fired, or, or you know, you're gonna lose points, you're gonna fail this class. And Stardew Value kind of reminds you, like, rushing everything is not like that's not what it means to live, right? Like, you know, sometimes it's 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 it healthy, it's necessary to take things slowly, to learn to just kind of let go and. And, and do as you please, but uh, I think that that was my take-home message from because I played Minecraft um, before Stardew Valley, and I would go crazy on Minecraft. I'd be like, day one, okay, I need to get diamonds. I'm gonna get like this massive farm going. I'm yeah. gonna get these red, you know, redstone machines going. I would have this massive and and you know crazy intricate setup in the first day. And right. but you know, Stardew Valley, I'm like, oh, I have to like budget. You know, I gotta plant these seeds. It takes you know days and. And it just teaches you patience, and it's a wholesome game overall. I really love it. <laughs> yeah, no, Minecraft is like I remember. I mean, just Minecraft. Like once you start learning the game, because at first I was sort of like, okay, you gotta get these trees, and then you know, gotta make a house. But then after you start learning the game, you sort of create a new world. You go straight into a, gotta get the tree, gotta make the pickaxe, gotta start mining, gotta right. find diamonds. Right, everything's gotta go everything's to go like fast, fast, yeah. fast. Yeah, like you don't have patience for it anymore, but. uh Let's see, if you like the efficient side of Minecraft, you should look into Satisfactory. Great game. Huh. Well, thank you very much for the recommendation, Pseudo. I will, I will have to look into that. Although, um, you know, fair warning, I'm not really like, a, um, like an intense gamer. I, <laughs> Ryan, I think you can attest to that. Uh, I, I, I play very casually. But, like Stardew Valley is pretty um, casual. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's de- definitely, definitely not like Stardew. League of Legends or Overwatch. No, no. Or, um, I think I, I, tried, I tried Counter-Strike. Uh, in general, I think uh, many of my friends and colleagues can test. I'm terrible with first-person shooters. Any tips oh. on how to be more patient with things? See, I'm a casual gamer myself. Okay, Pseudo says he's uh, they're they're a casual gamer. Okay, that's. Uh, do, you, do you want to answer that question, John? Anything on how to be more patient with things? It's a hard. Why, question. Wait, why? Why are you asking me, Ryan? I, <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear what you say. <laughs> I think. Oh, how to be more patient. I mean, I mean, there are certain scenarios where you just cannot, you know, like, like there's always some pressing demand or um, I, I think. Uh, you know what trained me to be, be patient? 
What? Going Working shopping. with me. <laughs> <laughs> Funny joke. <laughs> no, silly. No, for me, it was like shopping with my mom. Like, as a kid. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> really tiny patience. Um, early, oh, actually, okay, to be real, like for real, for real, uh, I, I guess like talking to my father, like because he's uh, hard of, you know, he has, he's pretty on the scale of like, he can't really hear that well anymore. So just being able to like, communicate him growing up, uh, learning how to, because boy, man, you know, you have, you have to repeat like five or 10 sentences over and over again. Um, but I don't know, I guess for me, it's sort of, you just gotta, you just gotta remind yourself that like, oof, I don't know, like, it, it's weird. I, <laughs> like, how, how do you even teach someone how to be patient, you know? I think it's... <sighs> Patience. I think I've always thought of patience as kind of like a muscle, right? So, so how do you how do you grow muscle? You have to exercise, um, uh, you know, exercise that muscle. So, so um, you know, in terms of like, uh, you you can try meditation. Uh, it doesn't really work that well for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. Uh, but I know that's like a go to uh, route, and and pseudo I think has an excellent point here. So I think I think it's a really broad question. Are you wanting to be more patient with unexpected situations or build patience with situations that you have to endure? I feel patient, and and pseudo is not wrong, but I, th- I think behind all those uh, scenarios is like some kind of underlying tenet um, as to what uh, patience is, and and I think I don't know. I, I think for me, like being raised in a fully kind of Chinese family and, and Chinese household, patience is an integral part of what um, you know. In Confucian philosophy, we consider this filial piety, so it's this sort of respect towards one elder, one's elders. So that's that's just something for me. Um, are you kind of raised into? Um, it, it's it, by default. It is expected of you. Right. And uh, I think I think for me, it might even be disadvantageous. Uh, I've had some some of my uh, Western, uh, you know, uh, those that were raised in a sort of more uh, Western environment, uh, complain like John. You know, if you want something, just go for it. Like be more right. assertive. And, that, and that's not who I am. That's not you know, that doesn't really line well with a lot of the uh, Confucian philosophy. But um, that's. Uh, Oh, and pseudo here has something. Doing things that make you impatient is definitely a great way. Forcing yourself into it will make it more muscle memory. Yeah. So once again, you, you try and you know practice patience with um with things and and uh, uh, you know I think like you know from Stardew Valley, like you just find some time to, to take a break as well. Uh, uh, you know, and learn like it, it's okay to not be productive at times. You know, I, mm-hmm. life is not meant to be this. You know, rush. Yeah. Be, Right, exactly. You know, you gotta enjoy the uh, moments. Right. Yeah. And I would say another thing is also to take yourself out of perspective from your own perspective. So, for example, uh, like just thinking about you know right now, uh, let's say you know you're impatient and you're mad over this like this really is one thing that you're probably gonna forget in the future. You know that sometimes reminds me of okay you know instead of reacting so quickly which I have and I know I have. Um, it's sort of just taking yourself out and like, okay, this moment in time, like it's going to go over next week. I probably will forget about what just happened. And then uh, sort of like allowing yourself to slow it down. You know, a lot of times I feel like I like to be like in the heat of things. I like to rush things a lot. Um, I think John can attest to that. You know, like I like to, yeah, when, I, when, definitely. I, when I'm in that zone, like I want to like get it done. I want to like get it out. But um 
John has like, he always reminds me, like, yeah, you know, sit on the idea or sit on what you're doing. Think about it a little bit before you uh, act, you know, or I don't know. Right. I think, I think what Ryan is saying is a really great, um, like, like if you wanted for anyone who's like interested in more concrete stuff, um, look into Stoicism. Um, Stoicism is like, a, it, it's sort of a, a kind of philosophy or a, a way of life where um you know, it, it gets misattributed because when we think of the word stoic, we think of someone who's like emotionally distant or, or they're not emotionally affected. But that's not, the, that's not the meaning of stoicism. Like the idea behind that philosophy is to kind of, as Ryan said, take yourself out of the situation. Like you look at it from above and you just keep pulling yourself further and further and you realize how ephemeral certain things are. Um, and by ephemeral, I mean, like, you know, it, it's not a permanent thing. You know, as Ryan said, you know, eventually you'll forget about this and, and time will pass. And, and it may not be immediate. That's true. But, um, it, you know, the time will come where it just it becomes nothing more than a, a memory. Or sometimes when you're um, impatient and you wonder, like, what was the point of, of rushing? This? Like, there, was, there was no benefit to rushing something. Um, thing, things like that. I'm, and, and, you know, Ryan and I could be talking um, out of our butts um, for all we know. Um, this, could, this could, so, so take whatever advice you find is useful and feel free to, you know, discard the rest. Now, with that being said, Ryan, I think we are going over time. I think we're five minutes over time. Right. Uh, so uh, I think we should just go ahead and, and oh. conclude it here. Okay. Yeah. You know what we can do? We could, uh, have you heard of rating a channel, John? Oh, you want to, you want to rate a channel? Uh, a channel? I, I think, we, I think, <laughs> what, why don't we save that for Sunday? How about okay. we, we save that for Sunday? All right. Well, yeah, but, um, thank you everyone for joining in on today's podcast. Um, Again, I guess quick uh, for anyone <laughs> that didn't hear, we're on Spotify, iTunes. Uh, quick shout out to the, to Spotify and iTunes, um, <laughs> and we're on Instagram. So, for uh, if you want to stay more connected, follow us on Instagram. See what we're up to, what things might change in the future. Um, but yeah, John, do you want to say anything? Once again, thank you so much for uh, being part of the sort of Zero XUC podcast and. And, you know, for your wonderful interaction and, and questions, we, we re appreciate it very much. And, you know, we're always happy to sort of bring, once again, the latest and greatest in science and technology. So, oh, and before we leave, uh, wishing you all a very happy holidays. Uh, you know, we genuinely hope you get the time to celebrate with um, friends, family, and, and loved one, even though, you know, the current conditions make it um, inc uh, difficult or, you know, near impossible for many. Um, but yeah, we, we still do hope you get that opportunity. And don't forget to stay safe. Yeah. Stay safe, everyone. All right. Yeah. Have a good night. Bye. All right. Good night. Bye. <laughs>